Welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, where we believe that no matter what you've gone through in life, God is inviting you to partner with Him to take back your story. On this podcast, we have inspiring conversations with people who are doing just that. And now, your hosts, Davey Blackburn and Aubrey Sampson. Hello, welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. My name is Davey. I'm one of your hosts, and normally Aubrey Sampson is joining me, but um, unfortunately, we actually had a, a kind of a weird misscheduling. Um, if you were listening to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast episode last week, at the very end, we pitched it to a, a kind of a teaser clip from our conversation with Lizette Navas. And Lizette, it, her episode is actually next week. It's a very special Memorial Day weekend episode. You're not going to want to miss that episode. But because of that, we um, we just found ourselves with uh, a little bit of a weird intro and outro recording scheduling mishap. Listen, we make mistakes. We make mistakes. I don't know if you know this, but no matter what, even with all the move, all the moving pieces, all the people that we have working on this podcast and in this ministry, we still make mistakes. So that should encourage you. Those of you guys who. Um, find that sometimes you're just not getting things right. Um, but there's a lot of grace in that. And we also have an incredible conversation for you to listen in on today with Abby Wedgworth. Um, Abby is, uh, you know, I heard about her through a friend of mine in South Carolina. He actually is from Atlanta, but he was telling me about her because of a miscarriage that he and his wife had experienced that they had gone through where they lost a baby. And um, it, it, what's wild about it is, you know, I put her name down on my phone and I said, okay, I need to, I need to remember this and you kind of look her up. And then, you know, like many things, I, I just forgot about it. And then we hear about Abby and as I'm having the conversation with her, I'm going, wait a minute, this is the girl that, that my friend was telling me about. So Abby has, um, you know, really made, a, um, just a, a big impression in, that space, especially in the, in the world of uh, miscarriage. And I know many of you guys have experienced miscarriage um, and it's a difficult thing to, to talk about. And so we talk quite a bit about that with, with Abby, why it's so difficult to talk about in the church and why it's difficult to lean in with somebody um, when they've experienced a miscarriage. You know, Abby is a, an author, a speaker, a teacher, and a podcaster. And uh, she has written a book called Held, which is actually 31 biblical reflections on God's comfort and care in the sorrow of miscarriage. So um, it's it's kind of like a devotional in some ways that you can go through in a month. So I would highly recommend that book. We'll put it here in the show notes for any you know anybody in your life who has just experienced miscarriage. Maybe you have. And um, Abby's words and and this conversation is really going to be a salve to your soul. I really believe that. So. Um, uh, without further ado, especially since you guys really come to, you listen to the intro and outro because of Aubrey, not because of me. You don't want to hear anything from me. So why don't we go ahead and just dive into my conversation with Abby Wedgworth. Well, Abby, it's so great to have you joining me on the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. Thanks for being here. Yeah, I'm really grateful. I'm excited. Well, you know, we were just having a little bit of conversation. I had to look down the, the, the clock and go, wait a minute, we've got to get started here because <laughs> we were just having a great time talking about, 
you know, your life and my life and how our circles have already interchanged and exchanged. And so I, I'm glad to get to know you a little bit more on this, um, th- this conversation, this call, this, but I'm also glad that our listeners have the opportunity to listen in to this yeah. because you've got an incredible story. And they get to kind of sit with us at coffee right now and yeah, hear you share your story. Um, yeah, I got some tea over here. Yes. Or is that what you're drinking right now is tea? I've yes. got my coffee. You've yes. got your tea. Yeah. And and we're going to um, dive into this. You have a, a heartbreaking story and a story that, man, God has evidently shown up in huge mm. ways. And so why don't you tell yeah. us a little bit about yourself, your family, where you guys are, what you guys yeah. do, and then we'll dive into... Um, some of the some of the difficult things you guys have experienced. Okay, so I am uh, a wife. Primarily, I'm the grateful wife of David, and uh, we live in Hilton Head Island, the South Carolina Low Country, with our mm. three little boys. Yeah, so we've got boys, newly six, three, and one. Mm. Um, it is busy and really loud here usually. So. Um, I write, uh, in addition to being a wife and a mom, um, I write and I host a podcast for women who are walking with, walking through pregnancy loss. Um, and then, mm. yeah, I've written a book about pregnancy loss and then I'm currently under yep. contract for six children's books. So I just love to, wow. to write and to teach God's word. And, um, wow. yeah, it, that's my joy. Wow. That's so cool. That's so cool. Well, yeah, you, you have this book held you know, mm-hmm. which is just a, an incredible, incredible book. And I want to make sure that everybody, um, everybody, it doesn't matter if they've, you know, experienced uh, child loss or miscarriage or or know somebody who has in their life, I think that what you have brought out of this uh, season of your life and put down on paper is going to be and is helpful for everybody. Um, and so that's what we find out so many times in these conversations, Abby, is that no matter what you've walked through, there are common denominators, common threads in all of our pain that we can glean from each other because yeah. it all points us back to a, a deeper and richer relationship with the Lord. And so I get to learn from you know, people like yourself that they are walking through and have walked through things that I've not walked through. Yeah. Um, and so I want to make sure everybody it goes to that. We'll talk about that in just a second, but this it was birthed out of this thing you never would have wanted to walk through, something yeah. that is so yeah. prevalent. So many people have walked through miscarriage. So Mm -hmm. why don't you go back and kind of tell us at least what you would deem the beginning of that timeline and and share with us your story. So we were, uh, we had just celebrated our firstborn son's first birthday and Mm. um, found out that we were pregnant and we were not trying to be pregnant at that point. So it was sort of a surprise. Um, And I went through the like, how am I going to do this? We were planning to have them so close together. And then we got really excited. So I remember driving to our first appointment with my husband and I was violently ill for this one. Um, Mm -hmm. And we heard a heartbeat and rejoiced because we had prayed to hear a heartbeat on the way. So um, went home and continued to be very sick (laughs) uh, for a while. And at our, um, at my 12 week appointment, I went in and uh, they couldn't find a heartbeat using the Doppler. And I did not think anything of it. Davey was just like, okay, like I'm sure the baby's just hiding in a corner or something. So they bring in a bigger machine with a screen and they start to look. And she's like, you know, I'm not really seeing anything. I'm like, oh, I'm sure it's just hiding in a corner. Like literally never thought that something could be wrong. So wow. she was like, you know what, let's, let's see if we can use the bigger equipment. Like these machines are sort of fuzzy anyway, we're going to get the bigger equipment. So we'll just wait a little bit yeah. and we'll go to the big ultrasound room. I was like, okay. So they sent me out into the waiting room. And while I was sitting in the waiting room, 
I sort of like my, I can remember the feeling in my body, like my chest got hot. And um, I texted my sister-in-law and was like, they sent me the waiting room. I'm waiting to go um, into the ultrasound room. They can't find a heartbeat. And I, I started to feel like maybe something's wrong. Like, um, but when I knew something was wrong was when my sister-in-law walked in the door. Um, and she came right away. She had experienced multiple miscarriages and she knew. Um, so they took us back to the ultrasound room and I still was just naively really hopeful looking at this screen. And they, I remember them measuring and saying, you know, like, it looks like the baby hasn't grown since our last appointment. And I just felt like the dumbest person in the room looking around at everyone, like, is there no heartbeat? And it was, it was surreal. Like, you want it to be untrue. You want it to not be true. And so I just didn't, I couldn't, I literally could not process that the baby had died. Um, but then when it hit, it hit hard. And I can remember the doctor coming in and I just kept apologizing for, I mean, my body was reacting so strongly. Just, I was shaking and crying. And um, I am so grateful to the award for this man's kindness and for his belief about dignity, because I remember him placing his hand on my leg and saying, you don't have to apologize. A loss of life is always worth mourning, which is a gift mm -hmm. in that moment because not every yeah. OB, I feel like, would say it. So, um, yeah, it took a wow. while, Davey, for that baby to leave my body. That's what they call a missed miscarriage. So um, it was wow. several weeks of holding it and praying fervently that the Lord would allow us to miscarry naturally. And that prayer was not answered in the affirmative. And so I ended up using medication, inducing miscarriage at home, which is a whole other complexity because oh, the man. medicine they give you to induce a miscarriage is the same medicine women take to abort. Um, so that just felt very hard and inhospitable um, to, to try. You know, you think, is there any shred of hope this baby's still alive? And I asked for another yeah. ultrasound to make double sure before we, because yeah. there's a risk of infection at that point. You can't just hold a lifeless right. form. Right. And so, yeah, so we induced the miscarriage. It was a complicated mm. time in our marriage. Um, it was... Um, a traumatic experience, I'd say, doing that at home. And I didn't yeah. understand all of what it would look like. Um, and then that sort of led to a, a broader period of suffering with some other things that occurred as we were eager to try again and unable. So, yeah, that's our story with, with pregnancy loss. Oh, my goodness. Man, man. Abby, you know, I can even hear just the tenderness in your voice as you're explaining it mm. again. I'm sure you've I'm sure you've talked about this hundreds of times. I mean, you yeah. have a podcast that helps women who have experienced this. And so you're having conversations all the time about this. And yet, yeah. even as you share it right now, there's there's that sense of loss and grief and that void I can, I can hear from you. Yeah. Um, which shows me that grief isn't linear. No, it's not. Right? Yeah. It's like, it's not like this stair step. It's like, okay, cool. I get to a certain point and I'm beyond where it affects me the same, you know, can you talk to yeah. me a little bit about that, you know, for you and, and the, the cycles or the phases of grief that you've experienced, which by the way, how amazing that your OB in that moment said that to yeah. you, right? I mean, yeah. just pause for a second and acknowledge that, like that, that man, it whether he's a, a believer or not, he was, he was Jesus in that moment. Right? Oh yeah. And I can see the worst provision. In the, in the medical industry. No, it doesn't. Yeah. And I can see the Lord's provision, both in the form of my sister-in-law coming to sit with me. I'd gone to that appointment. Are you still there? I'd gone to that appointment yeah. alone because I, I didn't think anything would be 
you know, a miss. And so yeah. having her show up right. so I wouldn't be alone, having him validate my grief in a moment, I felt ashamed um, and out of touch with my yeah. own body, you know, I threw up that morning. So why mm. would I think anything was wrong? Right, right. Um, yeah, but right. I think, you know, the, I've heard grief described um, with an analogy you've probably, you're probably familiar with where it's sort of like a box with a button and a ball. Have you heard this? Yeah, Where, no, please explain it. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so there's um, there's a button in the box, and it's like a trigger button. And in the beginning, you know, the box is being shaken all the time, so the ball hits the button all the time, causing causing that oh. pain or those bouts of weeping. And then that wow. gradually, as time goes by, the box is shaken less often, but every now and then you get bumped by mm. something, and so the ball hits the button. Um so the triggers wow. sort of become fewer and fewer, but when it's hit, it's no less painful than the initial shaking, right? Um, yeah. And I think, yeah. yeah, I think that God was so gracious in in those initial days. There was such a, a profound sense that He was at work, um, and we had sort of our theological ducks in a row about suffering and who He was. But I think when it got harder for me <laughs> yeah. was those those subsequent hits, they almost hit harder because um, there's like a time for weeping. And then I think we feel like we should be over it or feel it differently. And so I continued to vomit for so long. I was sick for so long. And I got to a point where I was like, okay, Lord, like what, like, what is there for me to learn here? (laughs) Could you just let me, I mean, the baby is gone and everyone always says it'll be worth it in the end, but then there's no baby and you're just throwing up you know, and still right. really tired. And I wanted my body to get with it. You know, I wanted to. Wow. And so those things were harder. Those triggers were harder because, um, whereas in the beginning, I was so acutely aware of his kindness. Um, mm. I feel like the enemy tempted me to believe he was cruel as he as wow. he sort of allowed those subsequent problems. Or I had shingles right after our miscarriage, oh my like, which was so painful. And then- oh my goodness. A breast cancer scare. So we we're like, well, we can't try to get pregnant while we were getting all these mammograms and biopsies. And um, I started to get irritable in those times, you know? So yeah, yeah grief is not, it's not linear. And I think um, we, we imagine ourselves to be a certain way, I think, or we, you know, everybody wants to know what kind of person they are, if they're the kind of person that freezes or runs headlong yeah. into danger or, um, and I think, you know, you, you feel proven in the trial and then things continue to be hard. It's sort of, yeah, yeah. I had need of endurance. I had need of yeah. endurance. And I think that's something yeah. that he, that he was doing. But even now I feel like when that button gets hit for me now, um, I feel grief, but I also feel gratitude, mm. you know, and the, the wow. book has been, the book has been really instrumental in that. I think, you know, you mentioned before we right. started recording the value of, of your podcast and your ministry. Yeah. Um, and experiencing yeah. what feels like redemption in the wake of yeah. your own loss and experience. So, right. right. Yeah, it I makes something senseless, uh, like what you've experienced, what I've experienced. It makes it still have meaning, right? Yes. yes. Those two things aren't mutually exclusive. You don't have to What's have that? some kind of reason for something before you can have meaning in that in that thing, right? Yes. It's not like yeah. we have to have an explanation from God, like, oh, this is why this happened. Okay, now I can move forward and have some kind of purpose within this, because now I know the reason why often we're not going to know the reason why. And yet when we don't know the reason why we can still have meaning and we can live out purpose. And what helps is when you see other people impacted 
by yeah. your story. That does help. Yeah. You know? And cause, cause that is the glory of God and the good of others. I think one of the yeah. things that was m- most frustrating and what I've heard from women as I've talked with them who have lost life in the womb is people's desire to explain those purposes or to yeah. find the, the earthly <laughs> purposes, which are as unhelpful as they are yeah. unfounded, right? You're like, yes. you know, you're probably avoiding some wayward teenager or a child with disabilities or an who knows the reason? And maybe I would have yeah. wanted those things over death, you know? Like, yeah. so I think looking for the earthly purpose isn't always helpful, right. you know, but we know, right. we know from God's word that his purposes in our pain are always to make us more like Christ, the maturation of character, mm-hmm. to increase our dependence and intimacy with him. And then also right. one of his express purposes in our pain is that as we experience comfort from God, we're able to comfort others. So that's a gift. That's definitely a gift. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, I love what you said about how, you you know, we talk about the classroom of pain quite a bit, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right? That that you can learn certain things in the season of pain, but, you know, you expressed that you were like, okay, well, I learned, didn't I learn what I needed to learn, God? And so now I should Mm. move past this season and now be out of pain or onto a different season. There was, there's a, there's a time for weeping. Okay. That time's done. And now yes. I'm supposed to move to dancing. It's supposed to be very clean cut. I think that if we, <laughs> yes, w- while pain can be a classroom, and that is very important for us to lean into and be a good student of what pain is trying to teach us, what the Lord is trying to teach us in pain, if we reduce it down to just a classroom, yeah, then we're missing so much. Yeah, so It's not yeah. just a cerebral exercise here, yeah. right? It's well, not just and, even a theological exercise here. Yes, Yeah. And I think that's a faulty, that's like a, it's a form of the prosperity gospel, right? Like if I learn the right way, if I grieve well, whatever that means, then I'll be delivered from this. Or once I learn the lesson, I'll move on. And I think a lot of women, when they're experiencing infertility, maybe even in the wake of loss, they're like, once I believe enough or believe the right way, or once I don't want this anymore, then the Lord will give it to me. And I think, you know, God is better than anything we could get from him. And so I think mm. you know, once when we realize the gift is God himself, it, it, it helps us mm. to endure. It helps us to endure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I love that you were saying, I, need, I needed perseverance, I needed endurance. Oh, because yeah. Because it's, it's really, I mean, Romans 5 tells us this, right? That it's, it's suffering that produces perseverance. Yeah. Right. So you need perseverance in order to endure suffering, and yet it's suffering that produces that in you. Yes. And then perseverance produces character. Mm-hmm. And that's it, that's the goal, right? Is it's character that, that produces hope. So yeah. Jesus is the goal for this. It's like my hope is in Christ. My hope is not in anything else that he could give me or not give me. And and out of that I'm becoming more like the person of Jesus. Yes. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. Which ultimately is mm. becoming more and more dependent on the Father, wanting the Father more than anything else, even being on the other side of pain. Right. And I think that's one of the beauty of, you know, you see in Psalm 23 that, that the psalmist walks mm. through the valley of the shadow of death. Yes. And Psalm 139, yes. you know, he, David talks about being hemmed in and miscarriage is such a human experience. We mm. are, are hemmed in by our weakness and fatigue and, you know, our will. We can't will our baby to stay alive or we can't Mm. will our bodies to function the way that we want them to. Um, But, but 
you know, in our humanity and in our weakness and in our limitation, we learn to depend on a limitless God and to, and, and, you know, in our inability to get ourselves out of the situation, you know, he holds us in time and space too, for a purpose. And I think the beauty of being in the valley is learning to want him and treasure him in the valley more than we desire to be on the other side of suffering. And should we be there on this side of glory, our relationship with him is sweeter on the other side. You know, the grass is greener because he's there, not because it's the other side of the valley. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. I'm, you know, I'm only 36 and I'm not going to ask you how old you are because I grew up in the South, and so it's very rude to ask any woman how old they are. However, I might not remember. Um, we're both young. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we're both we're both fairly young. But the longer I live, the more I realize like life j- just keeps getting more difficult. Yeah, it, it doesn't get easier. Mm. You know. Yeah, and I and I think that's part of this whole thing of life is that you know we don't just like have this one suffering that we go through. And it's like, oh, well, that that was my suffering for 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 life. You know, there it was. My, yeah. I lost my wife at thirty years old, and and that there it is. That's my suffering for life. Yeah. You know, you you lost a baby at I don't know how old, but that's your suffering for life. That's not that's not the case. It actually continues to get more difficult sometimes. Yeah, yeah. And yet, it also at the same time can be sweeter. And those two things are not mutually exclusive. Yeah, yeah. When I think, you know, you talked about the maturation of character through suffering. And when I said the words, you know, that I had need of endurance, I'm thinking of Hebrews when the writer says to mm. to strengthen our weak knees. And I mm. feel like now the forms of suffering that I encounter, I experience differently because of the work the yeah. Lord did in that um, perceivably greater suffering where I was really paying wow. attention um, because I think when we, like, it's a comfort to know that he's sovereign over all things, even the little ones, like vomiting after you yeah. are not pregnant anymore, or, um, you know, just stubbing your toe yeah. in the kitchen when you're trying to be kind to your kids, you know, whatever yeah. form of suffering it is in a fallen world. I think when we are, when we know he's sovereign over every detail, um, it's a comfort because we know his character. And we know his promises. And so knowing his goodness, yeah. knowing his goodness and having having that be impressed upon us in suffering is what is what leads to endurance. Yeah. You know, we keep running because we see what's wow. ahead. And the things that, you know, like Romans 8, 28, that, that those trials that we face, they're for our good and they're for his glory, but they're also preparing us for glory. And so we run towards that we endure we develop endurance by seeing his goodness and and believing yeah. his promises yeah mm. you know abby in the in the immediate aftermath of of this loss um i wonder if you can share with us some of the things that that began to maybe uh be unearthed different difficult questions or doubts. You know, you, you said your your quote unquote theological ducks were in a row, right? So you, yeah, you grew in up my head. Really <laughs> trusting in the Lord right in your head. Right, exactly. But yeah, anytime yeah. we go through suffering, it all of a sudden kind of on it like just upends that. Yeah. And now we're face to face with the like, do I really believe this? And now there's all these questions that we maybe never had before. Can you enlighten us to maybe some of those questions that begin to come up for you 
Um, and I'm sure as you're talking with other women who have experienced this questions that they're experiencing as well, you know, as, yeah. as, they, as they suffer this kind of loss. Well, I think it just makes you suspicious about the character of God. You know, any form of suffering causes us to wonder, okay, either you're fully in control, but you're not actually very good, or mm. you are really good, but you're not as powerful as I thought you were, because there's no way wow. that a good loving yeah. God would let this happen to me. Which really exposes yeah. unbiblical thinking, because what do we think? Yeah. How, I mean, what is our view of ourselves if we think we deserve, you mm. know, you name it, any earthly good, yeah. um, which is a grace. Yeah. That, and yeah. I think, yeah, I think learning to hold those things in tension. And to be honest, like there were times, I think in that initially, no, like initially, I felt like my faith was being strengthened. I felt an intimacy with the Lord. Um, as things dragged on and I got tired, um, mm. you know, I, I don't know if you exercise, <laughs> but I recently <laughs> was, um, I've been challenging myself with planks and pushups and I'm right. uh, trying to All like right. increase my, increase my ability. But like, there comes a point where you can't do one more pushup, you know, I don't care how yeah. strong you are. Yeah. Like the body gives out. Right. And I think that in that, in that second wave of suffering, the ongoingness of it, I hit a point where I couldn't do any more push-ups, And that's when my, when, yeah. when my, when my mind failed is when my faith mm. sort of failed. But I think that's a gift reaching the end of yourself that way. And maybe even mm. reaching the end of your faith. Um, mm. Because it's a, it's a gift to know that it's, it's a gift to know that faith is a gift we receive and not yeah. another work. Yeah. And I think in a lot of ways, yeah. though I felt that great intimacy with the word, faith was a work for me in the wake of our miscarriage. Like I'm gonna suffer well, I'm gonna believe right, I'm gonna run to the right place. And, yeah. um, you know, but when I, when I hit that point of cynicism, I feel like the Lord was like, here we go, come on, like come to me wow. this way, you know, come, come yeah. taste my goodness, bring me your bitterness, bring me your tears, yeah. um, bring me your messy version of you and see me be good to yeah. you. You know, and and I think yeah. in that place, not only was I aware of my weakness, I was also aware of my fallenness. You know, like thinking thoughts I was ashamed of, or and so that you, we've been composting, and my kids are like super into it. <laughs> but um, you know, when, if we one of my um, my six year old has landfill anxiety, he's like, if we put the food scraps in the landfill, they're just going to become sour and stinky and like never, yeah. never be able to become nutrients, whatever, in the wrong yeah. environment, doing the wrong thing with them is going to make them, mm. um, you know, too much nitrogen or whatever. But we have our compost bin where we're like paying attention to the balance and adding more yeah. brown stuff yeah. to make sure that it turns into rich soil. And I think, um, you know, the way that I process that second portion would make me think, that I was not suffering well because of what I was feeling, cynicism, bitterness, fear, mm. anger. Um, but the reality was like, it's, it's not what's in the bin, you know, or it, it's where we yeah. take it. And so I feel like when I learned to bring those messy things to the Lord, yeah. not turning away in shame, but realizing that is who Christ died for, that person, that faithless person, that yeah. cynical person, that bitter person, that self-protective person, that selfish person, mm. that entitled person, yeah. like that's where I feel like um, that soil became rich and fertile ground for yep. the renewal of faith and um, growth. So yeah. I think it, and, and, and John Piper talks about this, that sometimes when our faith feels 
like it slips out of sight, that's when our view of God is actually the greatest because our view of ourself is so diminished. You know, we, we don't, Mm. We wonder if we're even a Christian because our faith feels so small. And that's when we learn to really trust that he's holding us, you know, that he's upholding us with his righteous right hand and that he's not going to let go. So, yeah, I think in the places where where we're we're weakest or rawest, um, yeah, that's some of the most fertile ground. If we'll run to him, if we'll run to him with that. Yeah. Yeah. That's so good. It's like the times you can, where the Lord's like, okay, now you're actually being honest with me. Yes. You know, yes. you're actually being honest now. Now there's something, there's something we can do with this. This is, a, this is a power I can paint on. It's scary yeah. to get there in suffering because I think I sort of thought, what if I don't come back from here? Like, what if I really mm, let myself yeah. be honest and I can't get up? Like, what if I yeah. express my doubts to the Lord and this is the beginning of my deconstruction? You know, wow. it's hard to wow. entrust to him the hardest parts because we're afraid yeah. of what might happen if we, but, but what happens when we run yeah. to the Lord with those doubts and emotions and fears and, you know, misgivings or whatever is a deeper intimacy, yeah. which is what, yeah. which is That's what exactly makes right. suffering lead to the maturation of character is dependence yeah. on him. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Well, okay. All right. I've got a really interesting question that I'm, I'm, I'm kind of curious about. We've been talking quite a bit over the past several episodes what has emerged from some of the conversations is this idea of deconstruction. Right? Oh yeah. Obviously mm. this is kind of a buzzword right now, right? <sighs> yeah. And this is so maybe it's in the macro conversation and just kind of it's creeping into it. But on some level, what we've kind of, you know, what we've been tracking with is like there is on some level some sort of deconstruction that has to happen. And yet what we tend to be afraid of in the church is wow, when someone goes into deconstruction you know, type movement or whatever, they're going to throw everything out. And, mm-hmm. and oftentimes that happens. Unfortunately, they walk away from faith because they realize what, you know, the faith that I've been taught isn't holding up to this life that I'm experiencing right now. Yeah. yeah. And that is not at all the case for our faith. It's just that, you know, unfortunately that's the faith that they've been taught. And it's, it's a, it's a, it's a watered down faith. Right. And mm-hmm. so I can just sense from you because of, you know, even just like your a little bit of your background, you just referenced John Piper. You've got, you know, you a, a very uh strong theological doctrinal background. You hold God's word in a very high regard, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That you have this life experience that kind of has met that. And you just said it's okay to come to the end of your faith because mm-hmm. it's right there that you might actually discover true faith. Right. Yeah. Yes. Talk to me a little bit about as you're just let this kind of evaluate for me through the lens of your suffering. Where what's to what extent does our faith need to break down and disintegrate, and yeah. and to what extent does our faith hold us in these? You know what I mean. This is a yeah. very nuanced question, but I just feel yeah. like that that's something that you know maybe you could speak to quite a bit. Yeah. Well, I think um, I think we overestimate our capacity for belief. Um, Mm. as human beings, you know, Jesus talked about mustard seed faith. And I think that what it's not, I don't think it's necessarily that our faith needs to break down as much as our idols need to be exposed. Um, because I think what I, what I would have imagined my faith, what I would have imagined to be faith was actually idolatry. (laughs) Like, Mm. you know, I mentioned having my theological ducks in a row, like I would have considered myself above doubt, you know, Mm. or, um, 
like God's word, having a high view of scripture is so important to me, but also having a place among the people who have a high view of scripture is important to me. You know, like being recognized as a good mind or being praised for having sound theology. And so I think it was good for me to get to that point of like, if you don't hold me, I'm lost. (laughs) Like, Mm. and I talk about this in the book. There was a scenario where we went to the beach and um, my son was like wave jumping with my husband and just one of those mammoth waves came. And uh, my husband jerked him up at the last possible moment. They weren't holding hands or anything, but um, he would have been totally under and, you know, having that that traumatic experience of like water up your nose and being rolled and stuff. And it would have been so silly if upon coming up from the wave, he would have been like, oh man, good thing I was holding your hand, dad. Because the reality is like David was holding him and that's the reason he wasn't pummeled, you know? And I I think my confident, my faith was in my grip, not in the Lord's grip of me. And... Uh. I think that's the beauty of, of lament too, right? When we, yeah. when we shake our fists at the Lord long enough, our hands get tired and they open and you know, that it gives way to resignation that allows for us to be ministered mm. to. And yeah, I just think coming to a place of weakness is always a gift to faith. And yeah. arguably I think people who deconstruct all the way are still having a lot of faith in their intellect all the way. Yeah. Um, wow. So yeah, I think I think wow. the thing that the thing where the place where we need to get is to a posture of of humility, which is what Eve didn't have, right? She she reached for knowledge and instead of reaching for the Lord, and you know we see Job and David do the opposite. You know they yeah. come to the end of their knowledge, and and David says, "Your knowledge is too it's too high for yeah. me." You know, and Job gets wow. to the end and sees the Lord in the storm and is like, I'm humbled. And so that's what the beauty of suffering is, I think, in the, is that it just humbles us. And what better position are we in yeah. to depend or to worship than humility to say, this is, this is too big for my mind. And I, I think ultimately wow. deconstruction is when we get to doubt and instead of responding in humility, we allow pride to take over. You know, because it's not like when people deconstruct, wow. they have any better answers. There aren't better answers yeah. there. There's just, yeah, there's just autonomy. Yeah, there is. There's autonomy, and there is somehow the justification that their questions has have their they their questions somehow explains away the existence of a god who or the 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 interaction of a god who just can't seem to hold space for questions. Yeah. And I'm yeah. like, no, he more than can hold space for questions. Yeah. Right? And, it's, and as you said, yeah. take those raw, honest questions to him. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. that's and where I, you'll and, find him. Yeah. And we don't err by, he's big enough to, to take our, I mean, arguably Davey, I think that bringing our questions to God is really an act of worship. Because when we do bring yeah, our doubts and questions so to God, we, we acknowledge that he is the one who knows all things. You know, like be, behind the lament, why is this happening to me? Saying that to God is the acknowledgement that he is the one in control. And so the things we're most afraid to yeah. say are, are, are really the things we need to say as an act of worship to tether ourselves to him. You know, why is this happening to wow. me? You are in control. You could do something to, about it. You know, like, why would you allow yeah. this to happen? Yeah. You are good. And this feels inconsistent with your character. 
So we're really confessing his goodness and his omnipotence. Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah. You know what's interesting, they, Abby? Now that I think about this, I, I don't, you're, you're talking about lament and like, I think about worship songs. I've never, this just occurred to me. I don't know. And, and I, maybe I have to go through an inventory of worship songs and just look at it a little bit closer. But this is the first thought that just came to my mind. How many worship songs just end with questions, right? <laughs> that just like, it's like, I've yeah. just got all these questions for you, God, right? Like, yeah. obviously, you know, David said, how long, oh Lord, how long, oh Lord, mm-hmm. right? But it, mm-hmm. it, it often resolves itself within the worship song, it feels like, yes. you know? Yeah. You've yeah. got, you know, three stanzas in a bridge and, you, you know, chorus is peppered throughout. And it's like, we're going to find some kind of resolve, make some kind of declarator- de- declarative statement yeah. of faith right here, because that's what makes us feel better. But I wonder if there's room at all for just worship songs. That's so interesting that you said questioning, yes. like having questions for God is worship. You know? Yeah. Yes. Well, and okay, there's one. So the hymn book God gave his people, right, is the yeah, Psalms. Right. And Psalms. there's one, mm-hmm. Psalm 88, ends with like mm-hmm. it, uh, very morbid. You know, I think the last line is something <laughs> like, I'm alone or it's all dark here or something. I can't remember off the top of my head. But one of the gifts I feel like uh, in my suffering, Davy, and what helped me continue going to church surrounded by pregnant women and little tiny babies mm. when I just longed for my womb to be full or my arms mm. to be full was that our our church yeah. so faithfully sings songs of lament. Like sufferers are welcome oh. there. And, and I was affirmed wow. over and over that the church had need of my weeping because it couldn't fulfill the command to weep with those who weep if there was no one to weep with. And so my tears mm. were welcome. My questions were welcome because that's a gift to the body, you know, in the same way that it's a gift to rejoice with those who are rejoicing. But I think that's one place we err as believers is we don't hold that tension well, you know, yeah. and, and when, we, yeah. when we pass over it, the fallenness of this world um, or our own depravity, even like we make little of Christ's sacrifice because it seems unnecessary. And when we, mm. I think when we sit in suffering with one another, we see our need for Jesus. I hated our Good Friday service this year. I hated it. I mean, because they played this like super dissonant, uh, like violin piano thing and I couldn't find the rhythm or the melody like, mm. and it just went on and on as we, as people were walking up to the cross and doing this sensory participation thing. But I was yeah. thinking, you know what, yeah. this is such a gift to, to have to sit here yeah. because we don't do that well. We don't yeah. sit. And the Lord invites us to do that. Moreover, he is with us in it. Mm. You know? Wow. You're, uh, I mean, talking from an artistry standpoint, your entire, like everything about your being wants to resolve that note. There's yes. that dissonant note that's just kind of pervasive there, and it wants to resolve yeah. it. It's like, come on, find that like resolve within the, the chord there, and, I mean, how appropriate is it that they they're playing this as as like as that felt, where it's like this this is what life feels like a lot of times. Yes, and, like and one okay, well, yeah, sure. One day we will experience the resolve of this when. Jesus parts the skies and he comes, mm-hmm. you know, back and he sets all things right. Yeah. You know, J.R.R. Tolkien says that he makes all things sad untrue. Yeah. Same way as Game Team. You know? Yes. But we expect this day to be that day. And that's where we make an error, you know? Like, yeah. I, and, and that's the beauty of intense suffering is that, yeah. you know, or even, or even ongoing suffering that we stop yeah. hoping for that day on this side of eternity, you mm. know, and, and look forward to that one eternal day when, yeah, yeah, when everything sad comes untrue. 
And that's wow. what, you know, the, the book, I mean, spoiler alert, if anyone's getting it, but like the book ends <laughs> with the line, God's plan of redemption cannot be miscarried. You know, mm. like you, you wonder what other forms of wow. suffering might be lurking or, but wow. one day, one day he will make it right. Wow. And that's, that's a sure, Abby. that's a steady anchor for the soul. You know? Yeah, that's it. That's it, yeah. man. You bring up something interesting about just like, you know, the, the, the community that we have within church circles, within family, within friends. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I mean, you could speak to this a lot more because you're having a lot of conversations and you've experienced yourself, but it seems like suffering in general, but particularly with miscarriage, it can be, it, it can, ironically, it's something that so many people have experienced and yet not a lot of people are talking about. It's almost like yeah. it becomes this sense of like, you become a, in some ways like a, um, like the untouchable, like you, like you, like kind of keep all of that at bay. Cause if you bring that, your questions, your doubts, your suffering, your lament, if you bring that into the camp here, it's going to, it's going to, it's going to cause a, a disease or an outbreak in the camp. I mean, suffering in general has that vibe sometimes in communal circles, yeah. which is why I think the church has not historically done a great job of providing space for that. I'm so glad to hear that your church has really provided a great space oh, for that, me too. but that's novel. Yeah. I mean, that's not, yeah. It's very rare and unique. Mm -hmm. um, but I wonder how much of that communal if, that you can speak to in terms of what did what did you see was done well for the people around you as they kind of helped to carry you? What wasn't done well? What yeah. What about your what about your? I mean, I can I can see you're doting on your husband as we get on to them. It's, you know, so that it does something in your marriage as well. There's a suffering together within yeah. all of this. Can you talk about some of the communal experience, both your your marriage and your your church family yeah, or a community? Definitely. Um, I think church family, you know, it's a mixed bag. And you can tell when you suffer, it becomes very clear who has suffered in the way they respond mm. to you. Um, mm. Because no one who's suffered is saying at least. Oof. You know, and there's and there's <laughs> such a revelation too of an inconsistency. Just pause right there. Let me just, let's just say that. Let's just <laughs> equip everybody who's listening to this. With like, here's one of the Don't things to least. not ever say. Don't ever say at least. If you yeah. immediately are about to start a phrase with at least, just stop right there. Yeah. Yes. yes. Just stop. That's good. I mean, wow. Um, wow. Yeah. But it also exposes like, you know, the evangelical church in general is outraged over abortion, you know, but we're so quick to say at mm. least you were early or it was probably a gift because of some chromosomal abnormality. What are we saying we believe about the dignity of life wow. then? You know, that like wow. babies with disabilities are not valuable. Are we saying that babies wow. that are young oh, wow. are not actually babies? And so we need to be real careful and tread real lightly. Um, mm. And I think there's also this like economy of grief where like some people's grief is greater. That's an area of shame for me. I almost didn't write the book because I hadn't had multiple miscarriages. Mm. You know, or I disqualified yeah, myself yeah. because I wasn't as far along as friends of mine who were farther. And the Lord's been so kind mm -hmm. to me because I hear from women who have lost at full term or women who are on their fifth miscarriage who have been ministered to yeah. by this book. And I'm just like, won't he do it? You know, but we don't yeah. want to, I think like yeah. we, one of the reasons we don't engage with women who have miscarried is because we don't see their pain as legitimate. You know, uh, it was an early loss or, or no one could see it. It's such a, it's such wow. a hard grief because it, what's lost 
hasn't been seen by by anyone's eyes usually. Yeah. Maybe the mother's the quiet desperation. Yes, it's a, it's an invisible loss, and a lot of the loss. I know you know this. Your wife was pregnant when you lost her, and so there's like a there's an ambiguous loss there. You know, there's a dream that's lost, yeah, and right. so you're not sure if that's legitimate because it's an imagined future beyond the reality of a child, right, which right. culture is invalidating its life by saying it was early or small. Mm. Or it's, or it's life doesn't yeah. count apart from its mother in secular circles. So oh. I think when, when the church shows up with its beliefs surrounding sanctity of life for the women who miscarry, that is when healing happens. You know, when, because oh. we, how can we receive the comfort of the Lord if our pain is being minimized or dismissed by others or ourselves? You yeah. know, and so we're inviting yeah. one, we cannot lead one another to the comforter if we're saying, oh, you're not really in pain. Which maybe at the uh, bottom of it is 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 love, because we don't want people to be in pain. Um, yeah. But we're denying them true comfort yeah. by not singing them the songs of lament that we've been given to sing to one another. Yeah. So, I'm grateful for mm. the. I mean, and and there was a lot of need for grace for the women who made the at least comments. Um, you know, and and it's invisible, right? So, you're getting yeah. questions all the time from people who are unknowing about. Like, when are you going to have another one? Or doesn't he need a sibling? Or, um, yeah, I think, and, and to wow. like moving to the, like we turn each other's eyes towards earthly things instead of encouraging one another to look towards heaven. Yeah. Like right. there'll be another baby. Right. Like, why are we offering platitudes that aren't promises of scripture? Yeah. They're better. Like the promises promise. of scripture. Yeah, yeah. Promises of scripture are better. Um, our rainbow That's babies good. might not be yeah. on the way, you know? So, yeah, I think I, I'm grateful wow. for the women who held space for me wow. and who said, this is sad and didn't really say anything beyond that because I think yeah. the Lord will lead us there if we can get to the place where we're honest about, honest about our pain. Um, and the gospel yeah. is good news for sufferers. So, yeah. That's so good. Okay, put a pin in the second part of my question, right? We'll come yeah. back to that. This is the marriage and, part. And <laughs> David, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you yeah. brought something up that I think is really important in this. Mm-hmm. You said that there's some like when you know when you've when you've lost, especially in terms of a, a an early child loss. Yeah, it's the dreams. There's so many other secondary and tertiary losses that follow. Yeah, that often don't get acknowledged. You know, mm-hmm. we often we, we often describe it as layers of loss. That yes. you have this kind of initial thing that you know, that's the that's the big tragedy. But really, it's kind of the stuff underneath it that you've got to dig a little bit deeper to find the the losses that are a little bit more ambiguous. But you've got to mm-hmm. put some language around it. Otherwise, yeah. those losses will creep up later. You know, mm-hmm. in the form of unresolved and unaddressed trauma, yeah. and. So talk a little bit about those. Can you just kind of acknowledge some of those tertiary losses that people yeah. experience in this kind of a situation? Yeah. Well, I think, I mean, immediately when a woman finds out she's pregnant, at least in my experience, you know, you go to what's the due date? And then mm. you think about like, okay, what does that mean for my maternity leave if you're working? Or you think, you know, one of the silly ones for me is what is that? And I know Halloween is like a, your costume party is like an important story, right. a part of your story. Right. with. Um, yeah. But, you know, I thought about Halloween and I'll have a big belly yeah. and won't it be so fun yeah. to to dress out my big belly? Like what will be a basketball team or right. like, a you know, right. um, and then you get to those places 
And that costume is not a go anymore because your belly's not big. You know, it's flat and empty. And so there are these important dates that you pass as markers or you see families with kids that are close together or people say, how far apart are your kids? And then like, Mm. you know, it it just, it feels irrelevant and labor to say, well, they would have been 21 months apart, but now they're this far apart. And um, I think also there's the, the ambiguous loss of the loss of time you know, like the, yeah. the loss of money if people were doing infertility treatments and then lost post conception in that way. Like there are a lot of things that are, are subsequent losses. And perhaps, yeah. you know, like we were, we were so blessed to have a, a baby already when we experienced loss of life in the womb. But for, for women who don't have living children outside of the womb, you know, the, the calendar is a trigger. <laughs> You know, you're just, you're getting older and, and you thought you'd have a family by now and you don't. And, um, yeah, those things are hard. And you asked about marriage. I think this is one of the things that makes miscarriage really tricky too in, in grieving as a couple, because I did that. My husband did not do that. Um, like the, I remember with, with all of our living children, you know, Mm. the 20 week ultrasound It's when he was like, oh, we're pregnant. You know, and this baby left my body at what would have been 12 weeks. And so right. he right. wasn't really with it yet with me. Yeah. Um, yeah. He, he conceptually, it was different for him. Um, yeah. And grief looked different for him. He was grieving different things, even though we were both yeah. grieving the loss of a child. And so I, I remember being surprised. This is one of the humbling things for me. Like you hear suffering makes you stronger. And then your marriage is in a really hard spot because you're mm. suffering. It's like, well, yeah. this wasn't what I thought this would look like. Um, yeah. But in the same way that the like humility and the form of doubt was a gift to me, yeah. um, like the struggle that we faced post that loss, I remember wanting him to come when I... Um, when the baby left my body, I wanted him to look and he didn't want to look. And that was a profoundly lonely place. But the reality is that I think a lot of the things I interpreted as sin against me were not Mm. sin. They were just his limited humanity. You know, Mm. it was, he is a limited human being. I am a limited human being and God is omnipresent, omniscient, omnipotent. And my husband is not. He can't be with me all the yeah. time. There are places he can't go um, because he's human. And so really, yeah. though that was like a hard stripping point for us, it was such a gift to our marriage because we learned to relate to one another as human beings and not saviors, right. you know? Yeah. So, That's so that true. was, Ugh. yeah, it was a gift ultimately. Um, yeah. Ugh. But I think that that miscarriage is a complicated grief to walk through as a couple because yeah. You know, and the experience of the mother is is physiological too. If there's hormonal yeah. changes and your body's yeah. changing or not changing, and those things are not as acutely felt by yeah. a spouse in that situation. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it's not, not all. Not everyone's the same. Not all. Not all men are the same. And yet, yes, what you're describing, Abby, is very consistent with so so much that I've heard from men in their experience with their wife's miscarriage. It's that. You know, I didn't really feel kind of attached to the pregnancy or, 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 or you know, uh, under, like really see it as like, oh, we're pregnant until later on in the pregnancy. And obviously it's, you know, from, uh, it, 
I mean, the moment of conception, it, yeah. you know, a woman is being affected physiologically. And so then her emotions are getting very tied into all of this as well. And yes. so it already puts you on two different pages in a lot of yeah. ways. It becomes that dissonant chord, you know, yeah. and so then grief and, and there's a, there's a reason why so many marriages um, struggle and then end up severing after child loss of any nature yes. because yeah. of, of not being able to walk through that grief together because it is not an easy thing to walk together. You're going to yeah. be on different pages of grief. You're going well, and, to experience that grief differently. Yeah. And you say pages, but I think another helpful um, analogy is paths that like, yeah, you know, the, as the word leads us through the valley, he might not be leading us yeah. at the same pace or it through the, through the same avenues. And so David's path through suffering seemed a lot quicker than mine, mm. you know, and yeah. my path was longer right. and more winding. And I think there were things the Lord revealed to me, conversations he allowed me to have that really he used in, in the book so much, like he protected me from saying offensive things or, you know, not considering the person who had lost at this point or experienced this and, um, by allowing me to experience such a full scope and that was a gift. And so I think just as we have to, and just as we have to trust the Lord with what he gives us, we have to trust his sovereignty over the experience of our spouse and entrust them to him and entrust our experience of you know, if we're experiencing loneliness in marriage, like we're near to Christ in that place. He was lonely. Yeah. And so there's, yeah. that can be a gift. Loneliness in marriage can be a gift. Like when, when our spouses don't meet all of our needs, that's a good thing because that idol yeah. of, you know, wanting them to save us is exposed and they can't do that. Then that's too great a burden for them to bear, you know? Wow. Wow. So good. What would you, you know, I don't want to reduce this down to just being like, Oh, oh, what are some practical, helpful, you know what I mean? I don't, I don't necessarily want it because this is very rich and very nuanced and very, right. Mm-hmm. But I do wonder, like I can learn from your perspective, right. And, and then you're, you can also shed light to help, you know, um, the women out there as well. But if you're speaking to a group of men right now who they've just discovered, or, you know, you know, they're about to discover that their wife mm-hmm. is going to miscarry, how would you help them? What would you want them to understand? Mm. about you know what their what their wife is experiencing so that they can better hold space there you know yeah. of course they're not going to be perfect they're going to be like you said that, that this is going to reveal more of their humanity than anything else they're not the yeah. hero coming in to rescue yeah. right by any means but mm-hmm. but but I do think that maybe we can learn how to hold space better in that yeah. you know, how yeah. to walk how to walk with you mm-hmm. in that you know I- yeah, I think understanding is really important, but no insight that I could provide about, because you mentioned everybody's different, no insight I could right. provide about their wives' experience um, is is going to be more powerful than the urging to embrace their humanity and to depend on the Father and to encourage mm-hmm. their wives to do the same. Um, I think there's mm-hmm. so much shame you know, there's sort of a companion resource to my book coming out with the Good Book Company um, in the fall with Eric Shoemaker, who it's called Ours. And um, he talks in great detail about feeling shame as a dad. Mm. And, um, you know, in the same way my husband wasn't able to look, he wasn't able to be with his wife during her DNC. He was overwhelmed and left. Mm. And he experienced a lot of shame. And I think the most important thing is maintaining humility that, that leads yeah. to a posture of dependence on the Lord. And, and humility also leads us, you know, like um, 
the psalmist and Psalm 139, like he sees how great God is. And then he says, search my heart. And if there's any wrong way, like change it. And and that's what humility right. does. And, and I think, you know, you're going to fail your wife. You're going to fail her yeah. because you're human and, and you're going to yeah. wrong her intentionally, maybe unintentionally. Um, yeah. And you, you won't be God to her. And so I think like being able to say, I'm limited and I'm sorry is so important. Mm. Um, and that wow. will be the thing that keeps you, entrusting her to the Lord will be the, the thing that keeps you from trying to rush her through her grief. It'll allow you to sit yeah. with her the way that, that Jesus sits with us. Um, yeah. yeah, so I think if you're, if you're feeling weak, be weak with her. That's a gift. If you're feeling strong, mm. you know, be strong next to her. That's a gift. Um, and then mm. recognize that there are things you can't be for her. So encourage her to open the word or to be with other women yeah. or put her in the path of people who have suffered, who know the word of God and uphold it. Um, yeah. yeah, I think just, wow. just entrusting her to the Lord and having grace. And I would recommend, I've re- I read that book for the sake of endorsing it and it's a gift. So I would recommend wow. picking that up because he'll have a lot more helpful yeah. words. Yeah. 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 Man, that's really good. That's really good. Mm. You know, um, I, w- I want to talk a little bit about kind of uh, how writing, you know, has helped you work out some of this grief and helped you find, as we talked about at the beginning of this, helped you find some meaning in it as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I find that those are twofold, right? It's like, I, this is helping me to kind of work this out a little bit. This is helping yeah. me. This is becoming very cathartic and therapeutic to be able to write some of this stuff down. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, it also provides hope for other people. And so it becomes meaningful. Um, yeah. So can you just tell me a little bit about, you know, what is it was writing something you always had a desire for? Was it something mm-hmm. that you were already doing? Like, did it come into the picture shortly after? What was your journey with that? How did it interplay with this, this suffering? Yeah. Well, like everyone else, I had a mom blog at the time <laughs> Yeah. Uh, yeah. With, a, with a small following. I mean, I don't know. I can't remember how many thousands of followers I had at that point. But um, when we lost that baby, I shared in real time. And yeah. I think it, in a way, it was a form of accountability for me um, mm. because I was committed to processing my pain through the lens of scripture. Um, yeah. wow. And, you know, a lot of people will say to hold it until you're healed. And I think there's a difference between cathartically, like vomiting all over everyone and mm. um, like hospitably welcoming people into your pain. And mm. um, I felt a particular calling, David, David, to share, to shed light on the experience because it isn't talked about. Yeah. And I, I will be yeah. the first to tell you that when I experienced miscarriage, one of my first thoughts was, this is so much more sad than I ever mm. imagined. Like people say, oh, I lost a baby, you know, yeah. and you're, oh, that's so sad. Sorry. But th- I mean, now when people tell me they've lost yeah. a baby, I'm like, it's yeah. just... Yeah, Absolutely. Experienced it differently. So wow. I, I chronicled it in real time, which was a gift. Um, and and it sort of provided a place, I think, for others. Um, and also offered, yeah, an opportunity for people who hadn't experienced miscarriage um, to have more understanding yeah. for those who had. Um, but it was cathartic for me. It was a form of accountability to process through the lens of scripture. And then um, also to be edited was a gift. You know, like once the, I was initially planning to offer this resource, which is just 31 days through um, the Mm -hmm. most intense part of grief, 
um, like to process the shock or whatever. I was initially planning to offer it through email and then a publisher was interested and um, mm. advocated to, for the value of a hard copy to hold something tangible when there wasn't anything to mm. hold. Yeah. And um, yeah. yeah, so being edited was a gift um, and fine tuning wow. my thinking about suffering. And um, now I was cannot- Was that tough though? I mean, you, oh, you, yeah. you can now say, it, you can say it was a gift, but- I also yeah. have to imagine that implicit within that, it's like, well, that kind of hurts to be, to like have my raw, real oh, yeah. words be edited and like, yeah. What, yeah. Uh, you know what I mean? Uh, well, and talk by to me about girl, that a little bit. I love my editor. I'm working with her again now on the books that I'm doing, but she's, she's young and she's single. Yeah. And, you know, I feel like yeah. any author I think will tell you when they first get edits, they stomp around their house for a minute and they're like, yeah, she has absolutely. no idea. <laughs> you know? like, you don't have yeah. a clue. Wait a minute. Yeah. yeah. I yeah. know. But I think I like, you know, I mean, we've talked about humility being a gift this whole time. And like now mm. I don't even want to post something on Instagram that Katie hasn't read because I like without, yeah, without saying, yeah. hey, uh. <laughs> you get used to being edited and you want to yeah. be careful, you know? So she, you know, yeah. she's shown me the value yeah. of community and, and the insights of others. And wow. yeah, but they call it killing your darlings in the author world. Like, you know, they, yeah. they put to death right. things that aren't helpful and, um, yeah, it's oh, humbling. Yeah. But is that I, an Anne Lamont quote? Is that yeah, is it that is. What it she, is. Is that yeah. Anne Lamont? Yeah, is she, okay. it is. Yeah. It is. Wow. Um, but the yeah the the writing, um, the writing was a gift. It was also really hard, Davy. Like, you know, we I started that conversation with an editor um, at thirty seven weeks pregnant with our second child. So, um, mm. and then two weeks after he we was born, we started negotiating the contract. So. I had a new baby mm. while I was writing it. And um, I feel like I was held in that headspace for so much longer because mm. I just was thinking about suffering, writing about suffering right, for right. a year. Um, and yeah. I think I wonder how my experience of grief would have been different if I wasn't mm. writing that book because I just stayed there for so long. Um, yeah, and then yeah. even now, like there's still an onslaught of stories. People read the book and then they want to share their story. Right. And, yeah. um, yeah, so I just, I haven't been able to move on, you know, I've moved forward, but sure. I right. think that's another reason that tears pool so quickly is because the, yeah. it's just such a, it's such a common form of loss and it doesn't make it any yeah. less sad that it's common, but the Lord has been so gracious, um, in the form of reviews or, or emails or whatever to, for, for him to show me how he's worked through it has been such a kindness. And especially wow. we talked about deconstruction, but my favorite ones to read are the ones where the, where the women say, I am so angry with God, or I like, I just didn't feel like I could believe anymore. And that's who the book's right. for, you know? So wow. to see them, to see their faith be strengthened for their weak yep. knees to be strengthened instead of yep. for their, I think Hebrews says like, strengthen your weak knees so they don't go out of joint or something like mm. that's been such a gift and such a humbling, such a mm. humbling thing. Yeah. Wow. I don't know how to resolve this, but I do think you bring up a really interesting point that I, I feel like I resonate with and, and just how it, it can seem like sometimes it, it kind of prolongs your grief or gets you stuck in that, at least that grief space or that community because you're ministering to people there and you're writing mm -hmm. about stuff and you're, you know, and it's like, there's a tension that's held there where it's like, I'm grateful to be able to do that. I'm grateful that we sit here and have a conversation on this podcast, you know, but there, it, sometimes you look at 
folks who are able to, as you said, move on or, you know, in conjunction with moving forward, they're also able to move on and then not think about this season of their life or, you know, they can kind of just, yeah. and, and you go, sometimes I desire that, you know, and yeah. then sometimes at the same time, I'm so grateful that I'm here and that I'm in this and that I'm like kind of carrying this cross in some ways yeah. and choosing to pick it up every day so that, so that we can be a help to other people. And mm -hmm. there's certainly not a resolve there. It's not like a, mm -hmm. I don't have a resolution for that. It's just like a tension that you're, that you kind of just are in a lot. Yeah. And so yeah. I'm, I guess I'm saying that to say thank thank you for willingly mm -hmm. picking up that cross mm. for, you know, on behalf of other people. Um, yeah. If you don't ever hear that from anybody else, I understand it a little bit. And so thank you for doing yeah. that. Well, that's a kind uh, word. I know that, that that, that not, everybody, not everybody chose to do that, you know? Yeah. Well, and not I think writing... To do that. Some people just don't want to remember. Yeah. And writing in this age, you know, there's a lot more access. Like you just hear a lot more, which is a blessing, you know, but that you do hold yeah. a lot of yeah. space for those stories and it can be taxing. <laughs> but I think like yeah. one of the gifts that you and I have by sitting in the position of interacting with suffering people all the time is that we stay awake, you know? And, mm. and we yeah. have no choice but to realize this day is not what that day will be. And so we look forward to that day all the most, yeah. all the more. And we're grateful for Christ. Like so thankful yeah. for his finished work as we observe his ongoing right. work in suffering. You know, that's a gift to to have to stay awake to those things, I think. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Well if you're listening to this, if you're watching this, uh Abby's book that came out what last year, two years ago? Last year. 2020. Two, I, I think it's, it's September twenty twenty. Twenty twenty, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's called Held, 31 Biblical Reflections on God's Comfort and Care in the Sorrow of Miscarriage. Again, it's not just for you if you've experienced miscarriage or if you're walking with somebody who has. This is for you just to get an, a window into grief in and of itself and to lament mm. into the heart of God. I mean, I think that we can all learn so much even from each other, even if we haven't walked through the same thing that that uh, the other person has walked through. And so I want to encourage you to pick this up and also your podcast. The mm. Held Podcast, what, yeah. right? Yeah, that's right. And on that, you're having you're having conversations. What what kind of conversations are, are we talking um, about here? Yeah, so it's a supplemental resource to the book. So topics the book doesn't address um, with women I really yeah. respect, like pregnancy after loss, or how to know when to try again, or what to do with um, with hurtful words, or um, I think wow. we're about to record a second season, so that's exciting. You know, awesome. like a, a father's that's perspective awesome. is one yeah. of the ones and multiple miscarriages, um, degrees of grief, mm. talking about losing a baby at 38 weeks versus 17 weeks and um, wow. how, tr how trauma varies or sorrow varies, you yeah. know. So, yeah, that yeah. podcast has been a gift. Those women are awesome. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Well, Abby, thanks for spending time with us and just, you know, really mm -hmm. feeding us today. I mean, you really fed my soul and I know everybody who's listening to this right now. And so thank you for doing that. Thank you for walking through what you have walked through and walking through it. Uh, I, I say, well, of course it's not, we weren't, none of us walked mm -hmm. through it perfectly by any means, yeah. but you're stewarding yeah. it well. And mm -hmm. so thank you for stewarding it well and to help other people, you know, as scripture tells us that we are, we are afflicted and then comforted so that we can comfort other people in their afflictions. And you're doing yeah. that certainly. Uh, in more spaces than just the space of miscarriage. And so thank you for doing that and, and for spending time with us. Where can we follow you? Where can we continue to just keep keep track with your journey? Yeah, um, Instagram, at Abby Wedgworth. Um, and I think it's abbywedgeworth.com. So yeah, we'd love awesome. to connect or hear stories. Always grateful. And thank you for, for your hospitality. And it's always a gift to have a conversation about suffering and the things of God. So thanks. Yeah, thank you, Abby. Yeah. 
Well, I knew that conversation would not disappoint. Um, man, what a rich, rich time with Abby. Um, I certainly felt a kindred spirit with her. Not, 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 not just because uh, we we both have spent time in South Carolina, which is, man, South Carolina, what a beautiful, beautiful place to be, especially this time of year. Um, but uh, you know, just anytime you go through loss, you we say this often that we're we're part of a club that we didn't want to pay the membership dues for, uh, and yet this is our story. This is the story that God has allowed us to experience for us to steward and then ultimately to turn around and help other people. And um, that's what it means to go from pain to purpose. Um, and that's what we're all about is helping you to move from pain to purpose. No matter where you are on the journey, we want to help you ultimately connect with God and what, what he has for you on this journey. He's writing a redemption story that you could never pin for yourself. You couldn't have come up with this. I mean, you wouldn't have what, what you've walked through. You de- this definitely wasn't something that you imagined or um, you know, that you could have even thought of for your life. And yet, what I believe very strongly is that, and, and you see it just embedded into the conversations that we have all throughout the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, um, some 200-odd episodes that we've had now, you see that God is interacting and intervening in our pain in a way that we also couldn't have written or we couldn't have strategized for ourselves. Um, he is he is taking the pen and he is writing a beautiful, amazing redemption story in each one of our lives. And um, he's calling us to align ourselves with the story that he's writing. Um, and so I, I just want to, you know, I want to draw your attention to a few resources as we kind of close today's episode. Uh, we're passionate about helping you partner with God to take back your story. There's a lot of resources there at nothingiswasted.com that you can connect with the pain to purpose course, by the way, some big news on that front right now, we just stepped into an agreement with ARC, which is the association of related churches to be a resource partner for them. Um, I, you know, I was, I was kind of perusing their website and been interacting with ARC and stuff. And then I know of, there's not another curriculum or ministry like ours that is a resource partner for ARC. And so they have just over a thousand church plants in their, um, their, their church planting network. It is perhaps one of the most prolific church planting networks in, uh, North America. And, um, and so Pain to Purpose, nothing is wasted, specifically Pain to Purpose, the course is now a resource partner for ARC. So just a really exciting thing that that we'll be able to start getting this course into churches um, all over the country. We're already all over the world. I mean, we launched the Pain to Purpose course in the UK and in Ireland last, um, or, you know, a couple months ago, so the beginning of this year. And, and just, man, what God is doing with it right now. So hopefully we can get a course to a church near you and um, where that can be offered. You can help to facilitate that. You can help people in your spiritual community and in your community start to get connected with the redemption story that God has for them, start to heal through their pain and um, begin to establish rhythms in their life that would contribute and attribute to their ongoing healing and wholeness and then find purpose and redemption and mission out of this pain. That's our heart for you. That's our heart for everybody in your community. Um, I just know, man, I've just seen it over and over and over that pain is one of the single 
greatest factors that the enemy leverages in our lives to try to paralyze us. And um, I wake up every single day and we as a ministry uh, wake up every single day trying to trying to figure out how we can help you get unstuck out of your pain and start to move forward in the redemptive purposes that God has for your life. Um, so you can check out all those resources at nothingiswasted.com. There is uh, quite a bit there for you. The other thing I want to bring to your attention, since it's just me, Aubrey and I aren't uh, talking about, dialoguing about, pontificating about this um, episode, is that we we are going to Israel, okay? We finally have been able to, after all of the COVID stuff and the travel restrictions and things getting pushed back, we had a trip planned for October 2020. Obviously, that got pushed back for you know reasons that we all know. And then it got pushed back to 2021, and then there were travel restrictions. We pushed it back to 2022. Travel restrictions have lifted, but we didn't think that anybody had time to prepare and plan for a trip for October 2022 because they just lifted travel restrictions in March of 2022, just a couple months ago. So I want to bring to your attention the fact that in May, the very end of May, we actually have the dates now are May 29th through June 7th of 2023. We are taking a nothing is wasted Israel trip. I don't have a ton of information for you. I don't even have a website that you can go to yet because we are, we just have kind of locked that in. We are dialing it up right now. We'll get that website, that landing page up on nothingiswasted.com so that you can find out more information about it. Um, you can go to nothingiswasted.com slash Israel right now, and you can find out kind of the framework of information about the trip. It, it'll be very similar, but that, that information is still the trip from October, October, 2022. So, um, that trip, that's not relevant, but the trip in May will be very, very similar. Uh, probably even a similar price point, um, depending on what, what prices have, you know, what has happened with everything that's, you know, taken place with, with our economy and all that, all that sort of deal. So, um, the, the bottom line is, I want you to come to Israel with us. Christy's going to come with with me. I'm going to be able to take her for the very first time, which is awesome. And he, Israel, we'll talk more about this in the weeks to come. Uh, it was probably the single greatest healing agent for me in um, uh, in the aftermath of losing my wife, Amanda, back in 2015. I went in 2016, six months after losing her, and it was just unbelievable. It brought color back into my life. For the first time, I wasn't seeing things in gray. I'd love for you to come with us. I'd love for us to experience some of those aha breakthrough healing moments together. Um, so stay tuned for more information. May 29th through June 6th, 2023. Okay. Um, you know what? We're going to go ahead and close out this podcast episode. Nothing is wasted podcast. Um, you can follow us on Instagram at Nothing Is Wasted Ministries. You can follow me at Davy Blackburn. Follow Aubrey at Obsamp. And um, we want to thank Sleeping At Last for providing all the music for the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. You can download his music anywhere. Music can be downloaded and streamed. Next week, finally, is our conversation with Lizette Navis. And so, uh, so it's going to be a special Memorial Day conversation. Go ahead and listen to this little clip from my conversation with Lizette. I was sitting in a Bible study and the speaker, we were doing one of those video studies and the speaker had asked the question, 
to us, what is your worst case scenario? Mm. And as a military spouse, there, I mean, a spouse in general, there was yeah. just, I, I remember shaking and I didn't want to write it down. And I said, I don't, I'm not. And, and she asked again, she said, write it down. And so I wrote it down. I wrote down, you know, losing no. And as the video went on, she said, so what if your worst case scenario happens? Is God still good? 